Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. of an era as the Blackhawks played their first game in almost 19 years without any of Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, or Patrick Kane. Almost 19 years. April 4th in Dallas. The season finale was the last time the Blackhawks played a game without any of those players in uniform. And my, oh, my, what a surreal day it was. Welcome on in. I'm Jeff Meller. Hope you're having a glorious Sunday morning alongside Brian Hanley as we broadcast live from the old National Bank studio. Brian, I mean, I have to say a little bit uh, nostalgic and depressed throughout the day coming to the realization that Patrick Kane's time as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks is over. And as I mentioned, what feels like officially now the end of the cups uh the hawks cup dynasty run yeah there's so many layers to this uh to this jeff because we all knew it was a possibility and a few weeks ago it seemed like a real possibility and then when the rangers made other moves i know we we start with the fact that stan bowman rightfully so gave jonathan taves and patrick kane uh no trade clauses right and and so they certainly earned that by helping lead this franchise to three stanley cups within 10 years and uh, and so, you know, Patrick Kane had very specific wants or needs if he was going to waive that. And and so Kyle Davidson is, you know, dealing from a little bit of a uh, disadvantage here as a, as a new general manager because the player has gets to call the shots. So it, once the Rangers, you know, looked like they couldn't afford uh, Patrick Kane's salary and they made some other moves, and then the talk started heating up again. And obviously, he left the team Friday from San Jose, flew home to Chicago for what Pat Brisson, his agent, said was a, a moment or time of reflection until this plays out, whichever way. But look, all signs point to this being going to be a done deal. I mean, they have to get a third team involved for all the numbers to work with salary. And it's all very complicated, yep. but it's really not. Patrick Kane's. Days with the Blackhawks appear to be over. And it's really, I mean, it's kind of, it, it, there's a melancholy, if, certainly if you're a big Hawks fan or, or a true Hawks fan. But with Jonathan Taves staring at perhaps retirement because of his health issues, yep. and Patrick Kane now likely being dealt to the Rangers and maybe not even getting a first-round pick back in whatever package they end up with because of the complexity and, and, you know, the lack of leverage Kyle Davidson had. Sure. To think you're two superstars that could have been really a big, you know, aces in, in Kyle Davidson's deck to rebuild and accelerate a rebuild it and, and get assets. It's, you know, really going this great tandem that brought championships and, and rebuilt the franchise and brought it back from its deathbed. Um, going out with a whimper. I mean, Patrick Kane's play certainly wasn't whimper. He's been on fire. Yep. Um, so God bless him. But 
I'd love to hear from Hawks fans, 312-332-3776. Even if you're not a Hawks fan, where does he fit in the great pantheon of, of athletes in this town? Because we're not spoiled for choice when it comes to championships in this city. No, that's true. But especially for, you know, if you want to call it 30 and under crowd, yep. Patrick Kane is the best athlete you have seen in this city. And like you said, maybe hockey doesn't resonate quite the, the way some of the other sports do. But nevertheless, what he has been able to accomplish, and you mentioned Taves, and it's impossible not to because they go hand in hand yep. in much the same way that Jordan and Pippen are always mentioned together because when you have a, a dynastic run you know, in a similar vein, and yeah, I know they didn't win any cups in a row, but three cups during the seven year period that they got them. And, and, you know, it's just the fact that you do, you do it during a time in the NHL where the salary cap makes it prohibitive. The, the Hawks were a sports dynasty in hockey for that stretch there. And so to see Kane no longer on the roster because, well, no longer in uniform and to your point, uh, because he's reflecting at home, it's just a matter of getting, Crossing eyes, dot, uh, crossing T's, dotting eyes in New York because they need to figure out exactly how they get this done, get his money um, under their salary cap so that it is workable. But nevertheless, that's the one thing that stands out is Taves and Kane synonymous always because of what they were able to accomplish. But in some ways, too, I do think maybe I don't know how closely people were watching Bry, but. Over the last few years, because of Taves' decline in play, you know, and not not just through age, but obviously he's dealt with just some some terrible health issues that you don't wish upon any great player or any person, in, in for that matter. But nevertheless, Taves' play has declined, and yet we've still seen Patrick Kane play at a, a very high level amongst the best in the league for a long period of time. And when all is said and done, it's it's not going to be a surprise to anybody if Patrick Kane eventually passes Mike Madano as the all-time leader in points among U.S.-born players, right? So that is something that is just going to happen. I was always hopeful that it might happen as a member of the Hawks. I guess not hopeful, but I kind of expected it to happen as a member of the Hawks. But the harsh reality of what has come into fruition over the last couple of years for the Hawks has been has shown that it's just no longer worth it. It always seemed like Kane wanted to be here. To close out his career, but the way the direction of the team over the last two, I think, has really expedited his exit out of the city. Yeah, and look, he's 34 years old. He's going to be out of contract, so that's another mitigating factor. But the fact is, he's got, unlike Jonathan Taves, sadly, um, Patrick Kane has a lot of hockey left mm -hmm. in that body and a lot of high-level hockey left. And once he puts on a Rangers um, sweater, they're going to be among the favorites to win a Stanley Cup, and he's going to do it at Madison Square Garden and on a big stage, and he's from Buffalo. It all makes very, you know a lot of sense. And the idea that he's an unrestricted free agent this summer and he could come back, yeah, that's a possibility. I don't think he has a, a stomach for a rebuild, and I don't think he has the nostalgia. Once he gets a taste of, yeah. of winning hockey again at that level and that atmosphere in, in that city, um whether he stays with the Rangers or not, he's going to want to keep chasing cups. And when you're 37, 38, and is it even realistic to believe the Hawks can, can be a contending team at that point? I, I just don't see that scenario playing out as much as some people would love to see that. I'm completely there with you. It seems like fait accompli now here because you understand 
nobody, anybody who's moved doesn't, you know, it's a pain. Nobody really, mm-hmm. really enjoys the process of moving. And no. so when a player like Patrick Kane, who has been in this city for as long as he has, has grown up and matured before our very eyes, you can understand why he didn't want to just waive his no movement clause for any team. It, like you said, he's earned it. And the reality is that he picked the New York Rangers, but I'm sure largely due to the city. And, and our, te- our Temi Panarin. Yes, yes. I mean, that, you know, he, he gets it's, to reunite likely with his old line mate who they, they had a, I mean, they just like to brink it. They, it, you know, Kaner took those guys under his wings and, and they certainly flourished. No, it's great. The chemistry between him and Panarin was undeniable for that uh, stretch of two years there. And man, it, it, there's another, you know, looking back moment where, boy, if the Hawks play hmm. that differently, you wonder how it would have, you know, where we could be at. Um, in this city with this team, but it is clearly gone in a completely different direction. And now everything, if you're a Blackhawks fan, is pinned to the hopes that you can win the lottery and end up landing another generational talents. Maybe the next number one overall pick. Who could be your next Patrick Kane and Connor Bedard? But that is a lot of luck that's going to be needed. And oh, by the way, in the process of playing their first game without any of those linchpins from the Stanley Cup championship teams, the Hawks won their fifth straight against <laughs> the that. San Jose Sharks. Exactly. Now they're they're now in a muck with a bunch of teams where they no longer have the best odds to win the lottery. And in fact, they're making it more and more difficult after with each passing day with all of these wins. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, it's just it, it, you said it for a generation or a young generation of sports fans who didn't see Michael Jordan. Uh, do what he did at the United Center all those years and, and bring those six championships to the uh, to Chicago and to the Bulls and spent a long time since those trophies have been collecting dust since the last one, 1998. Um, and you mentioned, you know, MJ and, and, and Scotty, but Taves and Kane were really one and one A. They were different players, yes. no doubt about it. But the, the, it wasn't Batman and Robin, right? I mean, they were the, they yeah. were the, they were at the, at the same level, to, and you can go back to people can argue Dale Talon was the true architect of the early years of the championships. And, you know, whatever you want to do, whoever you want to credit, Joe Quenville, um, you know, John McDonough, uh, and, and the, the tone that he set as president of the Blackhawks and, and Rocky Wirtz, who was celebrated as a rock star, rightfully so, when they, they you know, when he drastically changed the uh, future of the team by the way he was going to run it. And he wasn't going to count nickels and pennies like his dad and his grandfather did. He was going to do whatever it takes. I I remember being at a press conference um, well before Rocky took over because Bill Wirtz was still alive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was, it was a firing of somebody. It could have been Bob Murray because I went to, you know, GM and coaches firings every six months when I was covering that team. But, Rocky Wirtz appeared out of nowhere, really. Uh, he was running the, the, the Wirtz uh, liquor business, which sure. is very it, profitable. It was always thought that Peter was going to be Peter, the man who Peter would take had, over. Exactly. Peter had the office down at the United Center, down the hall from his dad. Mm-hmm. Peter was always at Bill Wirtz's you know, left shoulder at, at whatever he met the media. Peter was the young guy. And, and I mean, I had sit-downs with him talking about, it was a delicate topic, but basically... What would that future look like once Bill was either not actively running the, the franchise? Or, and I remember Peter Wirtz telling me, he said, well, it's very difficult these days for a family to own a sports franchise. I mean, I really got the sense of that 
you know, he was thinking they would they would sell and cash mm-hmm. out and move on. And, and, you know, only the NHL could do this. The Wurtzes back in the day when they had the original six, the Wurtzes not only owned the Blackhawks, they owned a percentage of the Rangers, ironically, and a percentage of the Red Wings. I mean, it was that league had contradictions and hypocrisy written all over it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It was Peter that – but anyway, Rocky shows up at this press conference – and the team's in disarray, and again, either a coach or, or Mike Smith's coming or going or somebody. It was the dark ages. And he stood up at the podium. He said, the fish stinks from the head down. And and I'm here to tell you that's changing right now. Now, it didn't change right then because he didn't have full control. But when, when he did get full control, it started to change. And I remember writing a column about how refreshing was that? Because Bob Pulley would never, uh, Bob Pulford, uh, uh, we call him Pulley, mm-hmm. would never even mention Stanley Cup when you talked to him. I, I, I finally shamed him. I said, Pulley, I've never <laughs> heard you say we want to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. We want, 27 consecutive playoff seasons when Pulley was a GM. And he was very proud of that. But they never really wanted to win because with winning came a lot more spending on players and such. But, uh, you know, Pulley finally, like, I had to shame him into, in the hallway to say he wanted to win the Stanley Cup. But Rocky Wirtz, I wrote this column saying, you know, I don't know where, where, you know, where he's been or what he's been doing, but it was a breath of fresh air. And he wrote me a letter saying, trust me, you know, hold me to this and, and, and I'm going to prove to you. And, and years later, he did exactly that. Yeah, it definitely. It's an it just reflect it led to a lot of reflection for me yesterday when I was thinking about it, because, you know, like I said, didn't haven't seen the Hawks over the last few years. They have in some ways become somewhat irrelevant because, again, they're they're marred in this situation where they're trying to get back to their winning ways. But the reality is that they're far from that. Right. But you could always flip on a game and see Taves and Kane playing and. But, of course, Taves, that hasn't been the situation over the last few. So you could always still flip on a game, see Kane, and get the warm and fuzzies about, hey, this guy helped lead this team to three cups. And those were, as a fan, some of the greatest years you could ever have. And I do think, in some ways, even though the Hawks weren't winning nearly at the clip that they once were, the last few years maybe allowed people to appreciate Patrick Kane just a little bit on his own because you still saw the ability that has made him, again, what I, I will say will probably go down as the greatest U.S.-born player in hockey. So to still, to still be flourishing at that stage of his career when you pointed out they weren't Batman and Robin, they were 1-1-A one one together, Kane and mm-hmm. Taves, but over the last four or five years, Kane, with the ability to su- su- sustain, has uh, kind of pushed himself at the forefront. And I think really, you know, it's it's tough because the numbers are going to stay where they're at right now, but he's still going to be in the discussion now forever as possibly the greatest Blackhawk of all time. Obviously, we mentioned Bobby Hull a couple weeks back, and Stan Mikita goes right there with him. But, I mean, it'll be Hull, Mikita, Taves, and Kane. And those are the four, I would think, un- you know, undeniably. And you said mature. We, we watch him mature. And, and no, no, I mean, that word is so, so perfect for Patrick Kane because we saw him as a, a off the ice as an immature young athlete in this town who got himself into some, you know, serious and put himself in situations that led to serious allegations, which were never proven to be true. But that was a, a, a deciding moment for the franchise and for Patrick Kane when John McDonough and the franchise decided to stand with Patrick Kane and, and that press conference in South Bend because they were training uh, down in Notre Dame, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 
he had to make some, no one ever really said it, but he made some lifestyle changes and he was in better shape. And he all of a sudden decided he needed to, as good as he was and as much talent as he had and was carrying him to wherever it was going, if he didn't really start to have laser focus on hockey and, and change and mature and you know become a father and become you know husband and father, all that stuff, we watched him grow up. I mean, really grow up. And that there was talk that the Hawks would trade him to Buffalo and just be done with it and, yep. and move on. And you know, to their credit, they stood with him. And and to his credit, he he changed a lot and became even greater. And that's why we sit here and wonder how to celebrate and reflect on his great career. That is Brian Hanley. I'm Jeff Meller, 312-332-3776. If you want to jump in and talk about your favorite moments with Patrick Kane, and just if you're a little bummed out this morning knowing that he is in all likelihood played his last game as a member of the Blackhawks, give us a call right now on ESPN 1000. Listen to the show in HD at 100.3 HD2 FM. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Jeff Meller, Brian Manley back here on ESP 1000. Taking you up to 11 o'clock. We will be discussing some baseball as well. I promise you a little bit of Bulls coming your way. They had a blowout win over the Nets in Patrick Beverly's Chicago Bulls debut. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, a lot of stuff going on, too. A lot of crazy buzzy, buzzer beaters last night across sports. And, uh, of course, uh, a little bit of Bears, too. We've always got time for Bears. And Jesse Rogers, he's going to join us at 10 o'clock. So we've got plenty in store coming your way throughout the show here. But uh, right now we are reflecting a little bit on Patrick Kane, who has, in all likelihood, played his final game as a member of the Chicago Blackhawks as they and the Rangers work out the particulars involving him being traded to New York. Again, he has the no-movement clause, so Patrick Kane held all the leverage. He would only be allowed to go to whatever team he gave approval to, and it sounds like the Rangers were the only team he was even interested in Moving to, so Patrick Kane will be a Ranger at some point, we expect. Just when, we don't know, but uh, over the next couple days, we will probably get word that the Hawks have traded. One of their all-time greats, a man who helped lead them to three Stanley Cup titles throughout the 2010s. And it is, again, uh, just a, a little bit disappointing for Hawks fans, I think, when, uh, you know, he, he captured, like, he, he captured the old good stuff over the last four games here, Brian. I mean, seven goals could have been eight mm-hmm. and was just magnificent. And I don't know if he needed a little bit extra motivation, but when it sounded like we started hearing rumors that teams across the league were curious if the hip injury was just too much and maybe he wasn't worth making a deal for, it seemed like as soon as that word got leaked, Patrick Kane went to another level over the last four games and really has helped uh, helped kickstart this five-game winning streak that the Hawks are currently on. Can you imagine you're a transplant Chicagoan down in Dallas on a Wednesday night and you watch him score a couple goals and get an assist and walk either happy they they won a game even yep. though in the big picture you shouldn't be happy they won five straight but um but now you sit there and say that's the last game he's going to play as a blackhawk and i was there no that is absolutely something it was uh it was a fun game to watch and he like i said 
it just he was rolling the last few games and uh Max Domi, we'll see what they do with him as well because he is somebody who definitely has a little bit of trade value down the stretch here. So uh, the line mate for the most part this season with Patrick Kane, I'm sure he's going to find scoring a little bit more difficult, although he did not yesterday. Despite losing some teeth on a an uncalled high stick, Max Domi delivered a goal yesterday, and the Hawks did win in the shootout 4-3 to three over San Jose. I do want to get into some of the uh, pregame ceremony as well with you because that was something. But, is Marlo uh, still talking? Yeah, I think he still is. He's uh, he's on the twelfth hour of uh, thanking everybody in San, <laughs> San Jose. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. But Pete and Deerfield wants to talk about Patrick Kane. Pete, you're on with Meller and Hanley. Good morning, man. Good morning, gentlemen. All I want to say is is that we got three Stanley Cups out of it. Uh, hockey's a business, and um, we'll miss him. But if you go on to YouTube, just type in Patrick Kane, and you got tons and tons of highlights. I'll listen to you guys. Thanks. You know what, Pete? Let's just punch in one of those highlights right now. On back to be taken by Campbell. Here's Campbell handing on to Kane again. Lots of head fakes there trying to shake Demon in. Threw one in front. They, oh, my. It rattled around, and it kicked on back, and it scored. We saw no light. We saw no signal, and we're not sure if they've set a signal of a goal yet, but they are celebrating at the other end of the ice. What chaos. One of the more unusual finishes, but One of the greatest moments in Blackhawks fans' history, in, organiz- in the organization's history, accompanied by one of the worst championship calls by one of the greatest, Doc, Doc Emmerich. And not, you know, through no fault of his own, just a weird play. But that moment when the Hawks won their first cup back in 2010 was magical. And for Patrick Kane, of all people, you know, your number one overall pick, the franchise savior, to come through in game six against the Flyers in overtime for Did the. Did they ever find that puck? <sighs> Remember it went yes, missing. Yes, I do. And, and there was, you know, every, a good the, question. League was looking, the league was looking for it. The team, the Hawks were looking for it. And I don't know if it ever resurfaced. People thought it was going to end up on some, you know, auction yeah. site. Um, but that, I mean, that was how, that's how confusing it was. Not only no light, no signal, now no puck. I'll I'll never forget that moment. That was uh, that was June ninth, twenty ten, and for me that was a crazy week because my twins actually were born on June fifteenth, twenty ten. So six God days bless. later, my wow. my wife was pregnant with twins. Uh, oh. We were, and she was, you know, obviously fully pregnant and ready to go at any at any moment. So while I was watching these cup games. I was gathering with some of my closest friends who are all big Hawks fans, and we would we would actually uh, because my wife was pregnant, and one of my best friends, Mark Dron, his wife was pregnant as well, and they were both again. She was my wife was at that you know over thirty two weeks. I don't remember exactly how long, but she was full term, ready to go. And my best friend's wife was eight months pregnant. So we had wives, so we were just gathering at his house. We weren't going to go out and, because obviously we never knew if we had to, at a moment's notice rush off to the hospital. But we were also we grew up together, huge Hawks fans, through the misery of most of the 2000s. And so we wanted to be, be together watching sure. it unfold. But we had our very pregnant wives. So we were like, well, breathe, we're not. Honey, g- breathe, not now. Exactly, now. exactly. Keep hold yeah. on, hold on. <laughs> I think the, the Hawks got this. We can't go to the hospital just yet. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, that, I mean, that, that it, it, and it, even, even the most casual or non-Hawks fan at the time, 2010, mm-hmm. 13, 15, 
you you saw how the city i mean it turned out for those parades and oh. and where's the cup today which bar was you know yep. the, the tradition of the cup and to actually live it in a beautiful summer's time and and in the city and you know, half the team i remember we put court crawford on the air early in the morning Uh-oh. right after Uh-oh. <laughs> after no they got sleep. off the plane yeah and uh i believe he was still you know what you would call uh intoxicated sure uh but you know they'd been partying all night they got off the plane at o'hare and 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 my uh jesse you know jesse we'll, we'll talk baseball with jesse jesse covered some of those great oh absolutely yeah he yeah. covered yeah covered them for us right here at espn chicago so we'll get his perspective but yeah it's that those this city celebrated those cups uh and and from the days when i was covering the team and you could count the three thousand people in yep. the united center and often we did from the press box because they would announce a, a, a ticket sold or whatever we would actually count the people in the place because you could and it didn't take all that long to to those days i mean what what a dis- difference that that era was just uh absolutely fabulous and uh, as that caller mentioned there um, Pete and Deerfield, you uh, you always have the YouTube clips to go back and get those warm, fuzzy feelings. But again, it looks like Patrick Kane's time here in Chicago is over, and it doesn't look like the Hawks, as you mentioned, Bri, earlier. doesn't look like they're going to be getting any great reward because the Rangers basically had already moved that first-round pick for Tarasenko. Now, they had another first-round pick available to them, but they had made it clear that they weren't really interested in giving up the house to land Kane. So the Hawks are basically going to have to take what they can get in this situation. but And take 50% of his uh, cap hit, too, apparently. <laughs> yes, so. yes, in, t- in order to make it work. Yeah. But Patrick Kane, a free agent at the end of the offseason, so it doesn't really uh, make sense if he wanted to go. The Hawks are doing their best to do right by one of their all-time franchise greats. All right, so let's mention, though, just briefly, because it was a surreal day. As all this Hawks played out, I heard Peggy and Dion discussing it a little bit yesterday afternoon, right in to Pat Boyle and Barstool Chief reflecting on the hockey show about Patrick Kane likely being gone and obviously having left the team to reflect during this time. It was a weird day, only to get a little bit weirder when we thought we were going to have a 9 o'clock puck drop and the San Jose Sharks, though, were honoring their all-time franchise great Patrick Marlowe. And what we expected to be a half an hour presentation turned into over an hour. And I saw Pat Boyle on the pregame tap dancing like none other, my friend. He He's he, a pro. He, He's he, a pro he was a pro, pro, but he was letting us all know that he was in the process of tap dancing because it was an interesting way to have to kill an unexpected probably additional 30 or 40 minutes. And as a pre, as someone who's done pregame from time to time on the radio here, it is definitely... Well, a skill to all of a sudden have to be discussing the team, but in a manner where you weren't really planning on it for an additional half an hour to 40 minutes makes things for a, a little bit weird and odd. And Pat Boyle was definitely entertaining yesterday uh, as the San Jose Sharks honored Patrick Marlowe. Did you happen to catch which other three luminaries they brought out onto the ice but in the pregame? Well, he, he spoke for 30 minutes, right? He, yeah, I think it was 40 <laughs> Yeah, and and was Joe Thornton was there, wasn't he? Joe, well, yeah. Uh, well, listen, anybody who's ever put put on a San Jose Sharks uniform was there apparently uh, to give uh, their the gracious uh, to uh, to Patrick Marlowe. But they brought out Barry Bonds in uniform in the uh, in the top at least. 
They brought out Raleigh Fingers in his A's top and also Chris Mullins. So they had all the luminaries from the Bay Area there to honor P- Patrick Marlowe, who was also in uh, his Sharks jersey. It was like a, like a, a real-life Mount Rushmore for the uh, San Francisco, the Bay Area of uh, legends. Although apparently, I guess they don't have a good relationship with the 49ers because yeah. uh, Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, I guess, could not be bothered to be there. Or, but, yeah, they just yeah, send our best to Patrick, but yeah. uh, we're not going to sit through that, no. It, or maybe San Jose has a, has a war with Santa Clara that I'm not aware of. But nevertheless, it, uh. it was amusing to see um, some all-time greats out there on the ice to help honor Patrick Marlowe. Just a, an interesting uh, way to uh, cap off a crazy day for Blackhawk fans. And I'll give you one more highlight, Brian, before we get a break here. What a, a, just a cool story. David Gust, the Blackhawks player who was making his NHL debut, local kid, 29 years old, talked in the pregame about how he was strongly considering retiring before the season began because he had, at this stage of his life, you know, his wife is pregnant and he decided, you know, he hadn't made the NHL yet, and so it was time to move on and look on to a different career. But the Hawks offered him an opportunity to come play for his hometown team, and so he has been in Rockford all year long. And finally yesterday, in part because of Patrick Kane choosing to go reflect, David Gust got the call, made his NHL debut. He was out there on the ice, as is tradition. He got to take his first lap on the ice on an empty set as the Hawks got set for warm-ups. So that was a great moment. And then, how about this? First shift for David Gust. First year in the Blackhawks organization. He's from Orland Park, Illinois. Newly minted 29-year-old with a wife and a baby due. Congratulations to David. Quite a year, personally and professionally, for Gust. As Colin Blackwell to Gust, who scores! It is an NHL debut! David Gust gets the Hawks out to a Highlight courtesy of NBC Sports, of course, and uh, pretty cool there for the uh, not not some youngster, but uh, pretty cool to make a to score a goal on your first shift in your NHL debut for your hometown yeah. team, Bry. Talk about a grinder too. Like mm-hmm. I said, twenty nine and all the the different stops he made in the AHL, and um, you know, as you said, it's, he's now starting a family. He's thinking, how much more am I going to do this? Will it ever happen for me? And for one night, it did. Here's hoping there's more of that, but uh, at 29 to, to keep grinding and keep keep the the dream alive. It's and, and to have a, a local kid do that for his hometown team on the first shift. As you said, you couldn't write a better script. All right, we uh, got our first look yesterday, maybe Friday, but I imagine most uh, Cubs and Sox fans got their first real look at some of the new Major League Baseball rules that have been implemented. We'll discuss them coming up next here on ESPN 1000. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN Chicago. with you here on Sunday morning, hanging out with you until 11 o'clock. Jesse Rogers will join us at 10 as we discuss some of the new Major League Baseball rules that have been implemented, and we've got our look at them. Also, 
Recapping last night's Hawks events, not so much the game, even though that was an eventful game, but the fact that Patrick Kane has likely played his last game in a Hawks uniform as he has left the team per his agent to reflect at this time as uh, we expect a deal to commence rates between the Hawks and Rangers at some point over the next few days before the trade deadline, which Will, is uh, Friday, Raleigh March Fingers 3rd. show up at the United Center when they uh, retire Patrick's 88? Probably not Raleigh trying to think who would be who would be the the foursome, I guess, or the trio that you would ask to uh, well, MJ, arrive with Kane. Right? Yes, of course, MJ, although yeah. he's hard to uh, he's a hard man to get a hold of to show yeah. up to events these days. Haven't seen him in a while. So you could attempt it, but uh, I think that would be very difficult to do. I, I, I just hope the Black, you know, one thing the Blackhawks do extremely well is uh, their in-game ceremonies and, and the pomp and circumstance. Mm-hmm. They, they really become one of the best. I remember covering the first MJ retirement at the United Center. Larry King was out uh, about to help unveil the, uh, the, the statue outside. Kelsey Grammer was there for some reason. Frazier, why not? Yeah, uh, I'm listening. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it was the most odd collection of people. It was on, I think it was on TBS, and it just went on and on. <laughs> I don't know if Oprah interviewed MJ. It, it's so long ago, but I mean, it 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 was so disjointed. It, no wonder he had to come back because that if that was going to be it, that was what a train wreck that was. <laughs> Yeah, and you'd think for the uh, greatest player of all time, you might be able you'd be able to give them a pass if they wanted to make that one forty five minutes to an hour. It was definitely <laughs> yes. a bit much for the San Jose Sharks, who have never raised a who have never tired a uniform number. They want I, I think they wanted Patrick Marlowe to be the first, so yeah. maybe there will be uh, some to come after him that played during his time, but they wanted Marlowe to be the first who was retired because he was such a great player for them for so long. But, uh, boy, it went on forever. I did enjoy, though, the uh, live living Mount Rushmore of Bay Area sports figures <laughs> all collected together on the ice last night. Let's check in with Owen in Willowbrook. Hey, Owen, what's going on? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Well, um, great show about Kane. I, you know, just a couple quick things about Kane. I always thought there's so many great highlights. You can't really, you know, pin down one, I don't think, but what I always thought was, especially after his problem, that guy always interviewed after games, and he never changed his demeanor in a win or loss. He was always an easy interview, it seemed like. And then secondly, he, was, he always coined I, – what, I, what always sticks in my mind is he coined that, that phrase, that's hockey, baby. Sure. And I'll, I'll tell you, the guy was, <laughs> he, was a, he must have been a gym rat from, or ice rink rat from the time he was five because the guy just seems to go on and on and on, and he makes other players better. And then can I ask you guys one quick question about the stocks? Absolutely. Um, with the new manager, Grafal, yep. coming in, the thing that worries me, if Mankata and Grandal get off to a lousy start, I don't think they deserve a chance to work out of the slump. If they, and, you know, no excuse for, for cold weather or anything. I think if they start out slow, mm-hmm. you pull the switch quick on them because – we saw what happened last year, and I, I just don't I don't think they deserve a chance to uh, work out of a slump. I, I want to see what you guys think about that. All right, Owen, thanks for the call. Fair question. Um, as we do transition to baseball, so that's a nice uh, opportunity for us there, Bri. Uh, he brings up Grandal and Mankata, and I think I see what you're saying, Owen. There's a frustration from Sox fans because Yohan Mankata seems to have all the talent in the world, but it's certainly he has not matched the hype 
year in and year out. There's been an inconsistency with him that has been very frustrating. And Grandal, who prior to Andrew Benintendi's deal was the highest paid White Sox player in terms of, you know, uh, the full contracts that they had given out. He also has been a source of frustration. The reality is, though, Bri, I don't know if you disagree. um, They're kind of committed to both players financially and and years. And when you look at what's available, I mean, I think Sebi Savala will probably do a pretty significant number of catching, you know, catching games anyway. Maybe, though, what you're pointing at is that he will catch more than Grandel uh, Owen on a whole. And so that's possible. Um, and, and you might be better off with him behind the plate. But Grandel's probably, as, especially as a switch hitter and somebody who can draw a walk from time to time, he will he probably needs to start doing that again. Yeah. Touche. But he will probably get plenty of opportunities to work his way out of a slump if he gets there. And the one thing about Grandal that we've seen is he is a very streaky player, right? So at times, he can get on a roll, and you do want to have him in the lineup when things are going well. But yes, there have been far too many instances where there's, it's, it's felt like he's been in a desert. For Mankata... Well, look, oh, sorry, go ahead. You know, I, I just, I'm going to hold Pedro Grafal to his word. Mm-hmm. He talked about accountability, setting a tone, guys coming ready to play each and every day. And now, you know, He said, as a coach uh, with the Royals... When they were playing the White Sox, yep. he could look across into the dugout and tell which White Sox team was showing up that day. Mm-hmm. A team that was dialed in or a team that was just physically there and maybe not mentally there. And that's how that season unfolded, right? I mean, that that was the frustration beyond the injuries and, and the inconsistency. The only consistent thing was they never played to their capabilities, healthy or not. So... You can argue how many games the manager really means, and, and Fred Hubner and I would argue this, you know, how important is a manager, and some people, Dave Van Dyke, the old baseball scribe in the city, would say basically it's 10 to 12 games a year that a, a, a manager could have his fingerprints on, good or bad, mm-hmm. but they set a tone, yes, and they set a tone with leadership and in the clubhouse and on the field, and to Owen's point, um, early on in particular, if, if guys, if he feels guys are not uh, showing up in shape or not showing up focused and ready to play. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a TA. And he had a week too, by the way. When we talk, Owen talked about Patrick Kane and being doing interviews and and you know the the intangibles of being a leader. And we can talk about you know in the NBA and and even what Patrick Beverly brought in his first game to the Bulls. Um, TA needs. Uh, Ozzy said it this week. He said, "I'm bar- embarrassed for him. You're a leader. You you can't be going out there." And taking Chuck Garfine to task after the season you had, you better yeah. keep your head down and and be the leader we believe you to be on and off the field, and, and don't don't let the outside noise become a talking point for you. And I, you know, until Tim Anderson and whatever talent he has, and he obviously has a lot of it, he's not going to be celebrated on the south side until he gets the other stuff right. And, and 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 knows how to lead a team. And Jose Abreu is not here anymore, mm-hmm. so it's it's incumbent upon Tim Anderson in particular to step up and fill that leadership void. Yeah, you mentioned the ability to set the tone in the dugout, in the clubhouse, from the manager, and never was that more apparent over the last couple of years. I think for the White Sox, a very talented team on paper, and when it looked like the window for a potential championship run was open, Tony LaRusso was brought in, and clearly Tony's best days were behind him. 
that was undeniable. I think everybody had already suspected that before he even got the opportunity to manage, but Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to give him the opportunity to go ahead and right his own wrong, and he hoped for the fairy tale ending with Tony La Russa, but that was not to be. It's it was the truth is that this team definitely could have used, I think, somebody inside that clubhouse who was a little more willing to hold people accountable, players accountable, and not just the 25th man on the roster who would swing at a 3-1 pitch for an opportunity when he was trying to get his career <laughs> off the ground, right? Like, And, and, and what, what did Tony do? You know, we, everyone was concerned that uh, 76, 77-year-old Tony wasn't going to be able to be in tune and in touch with the young player. He went, he bent over the backwards to the extreme where yeah. all he did was run interference. Absolute Anytime, enabler. And, any, yeah, anyone questioned anything, including one couple of his own veteran players said, you know, if we have any heart, we better start showing it. And, you know, why wouldn't, you know, Tony, why would he say that? You know, I bet, you know, like, he, because Tony was just, there was never, it was never for lack of effort. And it was, you know, when we get healthy, we're going to be fine. And he would, anyone who had a, a critical question or a, a legitimate criticism of the team, he went the other way and acted like you're from a different planet bringing that up. All right, we did talk about the pitch clock in Major League Baseball rules being instituted, our first opportunity to take a look at him. I want to get into that next. Jesse Rogers is going to join us at 10 o'clock as well. He's in Florida right now. He was in Arizona earlier in the week. He's bouncing around throughout spring training covering baseball for ESPN.com. He took in some games. He took in a game yesterday, I think also as Friday as well. So he uh, has had an opportunity to watch firsthand. And we got a chance to look at him firsthand, too, uh, on, on the television broadcast. And very interesting to see the effect the pitch clock is playing, including a wild finish to the Red Sox-Braves game. We'll share some of that with you next on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Jeff Miller, Brian Hanley hanging out with you on this Sunday morning till 11 o'clock. Jesse joins us at 10. Jesse Rogers, that is, as we will discuss some of the new Major League Baseball rules that have been implemented. And we got our first real look at them yesterday as Cubs and Sox observers. Now, the first violation occurred on Friday when the San Diego Padres, who actually took took on the White Sox yesterday, the, the Padres opened spring training and Manny Machado was actually the first person who violated the pitch clock rule by not being in the box within eight seconds. And so he had a strike added to his at-bat. Now, Completely unrelated, but worth mentioning. News today, Jeff Passman reporting that Manny Machado has agreed to an 11-year extension. Remember, we talked about this last week. Manny Machado had told the Padres he was going to opt out. He had an opt out at the end of this year. And, of course, we in Chicago uh, know how he ended up in San Diego. Machado has agreed or is is finalizing an 11-year, $350 million contract extension with the Padres. So... He will uh, end up going five years for 140 uh, after opting out this year, and then he will get another additional 11 years for $350 million, which will, assuming he uh, ends up 
uh, riding that one out. Uh, Bry, he will end up going 16 years for $490 million deal with the Padres. So Nice work if he can get it. And we talked about, he said that his approach to it, where Otani was just saying, you know, basically I want, I want to go to a winner or mm-hmm. I want to win, and the money will take care of itself. Well, he, he laid it right out there as a business guy and said, uh, here's what I intend to do. And God bless the Padres. I mean, if there's a, <laughs> if there's a big contract to be Boy. handed out or a big trade, to, a historic trade to be made, they're, they're right there in the conversation, if not actually doing it. Machado, Tatis, and Bogarts have now all landed deals in excess of $280 million or more. And then um, and they, traded for, they Soto. traded for Soto. So I know Soto wants to test free agency, so we'll see what they end up doing with him. But, yeah, they're not afraid to splash around the cash. And, of course, uh, you Darvish, he got an extension as well. So uh, good times in San Diego for Padres fans. Now, we did also have a very interesting pitch clock violation yesterday to end the Red Sox-Atlanta Braves game. Now, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. 3-2 count. And now, here's the interesting thing. It's spring training, because only spring training. Game tied at 6 with the bases loaded. And this unfolds, highlight courtesy of Masson. And now what? He's out. Damn. Strike, strikeout. That's it. Two outs at the bottom of the ninth. Braves uh, hitter Cal Conley was called out because he wasn't in the box on the uh, 0-2 count. I'm sorry, 0-2. He was, or... he was in the box, and this is the nuance of the, of the rule, though. You have to be, quote-unquote, alert to the pitcher. And mm-hmm. there's a video MLB put out, you know, explain the pitch clock and that the umpire will have a buzzer on his body so that if the pitch clock expires before the pitch is delivered, he knows it without having to look up. But he had the, the, the hitter has eight seconds to establish and be alert once the clock starts, the 15-second clock, right? Yes. The catcher has to be set in the box. He could be standing or squatting, but he needs to be in his box with nine seconds going. And Cal Conley was in the box, but his head was down. Mm-hmm. And according to the nuance of the rule... The bat doesn't have to be up above your shoulder, ready, you know, staring. You have to be looking at the pitcher. Yes. And so, I mean, I, this spring training is one thing a couple of days in, mm-hmm. but this umpires have so much to have to. This is the a, point. Yes. A, 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 aware of it was a catcher in his spot with nine seconds ago, alert to the pitcher, meaning you know he was in the box, and then you have veterans talking about Jeff. Walking double time from the batting circle to the to the box because the clock's going and, and they have to get ready where they used to maybe lollygag, as yep. we would say in the business, right? Yeah. It's certainly possible. I'm sure plenty of our listeners, you know, they had a Saturday yesterday. They probably – there's plenty of people out there listening to us right now, Bri, who didn't get a chance to actually watch any spring training baseball just yet. I will tell you, it is undeniable how much quicker the game is oh. moving with the pitch clock. And – I, there is so it is great that what happened yesterday in that Red Sox Braves game. It is great to have that happen because it quickly makes the players aware. Hey, we're not joking around. To your point, 
the umpires have been told, enforce these rules strictly. It is something that I think it's honestly going to be, I think, the biggest hinder not hindrance, but the biggest enforcement that umpires now have to do in the game is the pitch clock. I mean, after watching one day of baseball, I am I am absolutely convinced that the biggest burden for umpires now is, hey, I need to make sure that everything is aligned with this clock because Major League Baseball wants the game to move faster. And if you're somebody who enjoys a Mark, ba- uh, Mark Burley start, then you're going to love this. And the I haven't heard a convincing argument yet from anybody who enjoys watching baseball as to why this truly is a bad thing. Now, the other rules, maybe, maybe the um, maybe the shift, maybe you don't like the strategy that is being taken away from teams, the opportunity to, um, in some ways, you know, uh, penalize being smart. So I can have a discussion about that, but the pitch clock it just makes the game so much better to watch for viewers out there. I, I mean, I don't know. Do you agree? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, no. I mean, Jeff uh, Passon tweeted out just a couple examples day one. What two twenty nine, two twenty eight, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. No three three twenty, whatever. And it's interesting hearing uh, young players who were part of the minor league process uh, experimenting with this last year are saying it maybe took them five six weeks to get the whole adjustment, the learning curve down. Mm-hmm. And also to hear guys like Vlad uh, Guerrero Jr. talking about how he's already, you know, like I said, trying to, to get from the batter circle to the box with some intent and rather than strolling up there listening to his walk-up music because they, they are they are going to enforce this and they have enforced it. And I, I'm, I'm of the old school where I don't need a clock in mm-hmm. baseball and some of these other rules, but there's no arguing with the downtime between pitches and, and trying to get more action and, and get people, you know, focused in on the game. And the days of Al Robowski taking the ball and walking around twice around the mound and slamming his mitt before every pitch, um, you know, yeah, you don't need that stuff. You know, you just need to go out there and, and, you know, throw the ball, get the ball, catcher, throw the ball, the pitcher, pitch the ball. Yeah, there's a lot to this. We're going to continue to talk about it. Jesse Rogers, who, again, is covering baseball in Florida right now, was out in Arizona checking in with the Cubs and Sox earlier in the week. He'll join us live coming up next here in two short minutes on ESPN 1000.